Before we get started, ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Production, presents Moxie Bets. Make bets with Moxie with betting expert Katie Mox and her merry band of gambling insiders as they preview lines, spreads, parlays, and props with personality and the kind of advice they would give themselves. That's Moxie Bets. Listen wherever you get your podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I am newly minted UFC Hall of Famer Daniel Cormier. That is Super Bowl champion Ryan Clark and RC. We are back from Vegas, and what a week it was from the Hall of Fame to UFC 276 to the pivot on Sunday. It was fantastic, man. But how good does it feel to finally be home? Man, you know what? It feels good to be home. Uh, when a, go- a good friend of yours is going into the UFC Hall of Fame, you cut trips to Costa Rica short to make sure that you could be there, man. It was an amazing speech, an amazing night. We got to see you go into the Hall of Fame with you and Khabib Namorgamedov. We had a great show after the induction. Habib didn't want to dance with us, but that's okay. But I got to be the man about town at the UFC Expo, and I wanted to ask some current fighters what they thought of my friend, my co-host, and newly inducted UFC Hall of Famer, Daniel Cormier. Let's listen to a little bit of what these guys had to say. I just remember the uh, the hard work he put in, you know, um, the dominant performances that he had, and uh, just very, very, he was one of those fighters that you had very, very small margin of error. You know, uh, he capitalized on it and he was intelligent. So, you know, the fact that he was a little shorter for the weight class and things like that, it made up for it between the ears. He proved a lot of people wrong. Right. You see, um, his toughness and his tenacity was just crazy, man. Watching him fight John was, it was awesome. It was like, I used a lot of DC's film when I was preparing for. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. I was able to see the holes in his game. DC would do things without even realizing it to make John freeze. And I used a lot of those same things. He doesn't even, DC probably doesn't even know. Well, I got a story for you, RC, about Daniel Cormier. So when I was in high school, uh, my junior year going into senior year, I was a huge fan of DC. I knew who he was. I bought the same wrestling shoes he used to wear. They were the black and red combat speeds. I've been a big fan of DC throughout his wrestling career and now it's just crazy that like he's one of my peers he's one of my colleagues sometimes i got to pinch myself you know like he he, he's a friend of mine now uh but what a career man i mean what a storied career you know two runs in the olympics two olympic quads strike force grand prix champion double champ uh and now hall of famer so i couldn't be any happier for the guy he deserves it Uh, um he's got one heck of a story man Man, I, listen, that was amazing. It was so cool to get to be around those fighters and talk about DC, his career, uh, being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame, but also what he meant to each of those fighters, man. What was the week like for you, DC? But even more importantly, what is it like hearing guys who are now fighting have such high praise for you as you go into the UFC Hall of Fame? It was amazing. It was a, it was a long week. I had little Daniel with me there the whole time. So he got the experience from Wednesday all the way until Sunday, what a fight week or looks like for me. Um, it was busy, but it was fun. And I'm very appreciative. I'm surprised Jamal Hill didn't say anything about the basketball game we played on Friday night because uh, <laughs> those young cats, they challenged me, man, and I can't help but go and try to answer the challenge. But I was so sore on Saturday. Basketball is a whole different beast, but it was fun, man. I got to see my whole family there, my whole family who had interactions with Ryan Clark. Yeah. Ryan. But I do know that when I was up there, 
Ryan Clark shed a tear while your boy was up there talking. No, Smith. <laughs> no, you soft. So Bro. soft. You over there crying. <laughs> hey. I'm trying to saw Yonka actually hand you tissue. I'm like, damn, nah, hey, Ryan should be up here with me. <laughs> Hey, nobody cries more than you do, man. But to meet your family, to be around your coaches, and even to be in that type of atmosphere to see, you know, yourself, Habib Nurmagomedov, even Cub Swanson with a fight that went into the UFC Hall of Fame. I think it really put into perspective what you guys have to deal with and what you have to sacrifice as athletes in the fight game and in combat sports, in MMA, mm -hmm. but also the appreciation you guys have for a team that I don't think many people get to see but the reason we were there other than to see you go into the UFC Hall of Fame was for UFC 276 and obviously the headliners the main events was Israel Adesanya defending oh. his middleweight belt against Jared Cannonier. and this fight to me was over before it even started because Izzy's walkout was absolutely oh my epic my son was going <laughs> crazy when this happened. He was like, nah, dad, that's the urn where they put the souls. And then the undertaker is commenting on it. DC, we were texted during this time and we both agreed this was the greatest walkout ever. After this walkout, would you agree was the greatest? Did the fight kind of let us down after something this cool? You know what was crazy about the walkout was that I thought it was the undertaker. So I geek, right? Because it is the undertaker. But then yeah. my son tells me it's something else. It's something in um, Naruto anime. or Naruto or some anime. Yeah. And and knowing Izzy, as much as Izzy's into anime, I'm like, of course that was in Naruto, Naruto or however you say the word. My son was telling me Izzy was like one of the most bad characters, toughest dudes in the yeah. entire shows. So I'm like watching. I'm like, he is. But yep. did he look like that in the fight? I thought he if I'm being honest. I know people said it's boring from the go for it. He could have did more. But the reality is, I thought he fought a good fight. I thought mm -hmm. he was smart. I thought he dominated the fight. I mean, he won the fight four rounds to one on both cards. And then the other round was five rounds to zero. What more can you want from a guy in defending his championship but winning all the rounds? The problem is, when you become a guy like Israel, and Anderson Silva went through the same thing, John Jones went through the same thing. You become so dominant that those dominating performances become a bit lackluster because people expect from you. And I think that greatness for you to be judged much differently than they judge just the average fighter fighting in the UFC. And also, Alexander Volkanovsky did him no favors with how yes. well he fought in the fight right before him. So it was like, High with Pajeda, high with Volkanovski, and then Izzy dominating in the way that he did was kind of, it felt lackluster because Jared Cannonier really didn't have any moments. But even going into the fight, Izzy said he didn't see that much challenge in Cannonier, and it seemed as though that was the case in the way that he fought on Saturday night. You know, it definitely seemed that the case was, okay, Izzy didn't necessarily have to press forward because he could win the fight fighting. And what is, honestly, Israel Adesanya's style? You know, DC, when you get to where Israel Adesanya is, when, you're, when you are at the top of the game, like we've seen the Patriots be, like we've seen the Indianapolis Colts, the Pittsburgh Steelers, 
Like those teams, they just do what they do. They don't allow other teams to get them out of character. And I see the same type of thing with Israel Adesanya. He's not going to let opponents get him out of character. And so what that means is if you are Jared Cannonier and you want to win that fight, because I remember talking about this months ago saying, I like Jared Cannonier because I believe that he'll pressure Israel Adesanya. And you told me something on Thursday night when we did the show, you said, you know, you have to make the fight with Israel boring. You mentioned uh, Jan Bohovich. You mentioned Robert Whitaker too, that you have to make the fight boring. Then get you some moments later on in the fights where you can lean on him, take him down, do some of those things. I believe that's part of it, but part of it so is Jared Cannonier continuing to go forward, make it ugly, ugly boxing, try to make it tight, grapple, keep him along the cage. And me and Rashad Evans talked about this during the fight. But after watching Alex Pereira do what he did to Sean Strickland, the dominance of Alexander Volkanovsky and the damage on Max Holloway, obviously you get to Izzy and that's a little bit of a letdown. Does style matter, DC, when you are winning championships, championships, and defending championships? What does Izzy have to do to please the people or does he have to please the people at all? And is it just about winning? You know, honestly, Izzy walked out of that octagon with $7 million. <laughs> Seven, $8 million he walked out of that octagon with mercy. the other day. A lot of money, right? Dude walked out of there with a lot of money, and he was clean. He's partying with Kevin Hart after the fight, right? He does not have to prove to anyone because we have seen on multiple occasions when he has a dance partner. You know, so many people have said this, and it gets a bit cliche, but it takes two to tango. If Jared Cannonier is going to cruise to a loss, how is it Izzy's responsibility to do more? Now, right. I thought Cannonier early had some moments, but they just weren't sustained. He could not get it going to a level or to a degree that could truly challenge Edesanya. Edesanya is one of the most talented counter-strikers in the business. So you got to be very guarded with your engagements, because if you don't, you end up like Paulo Costa, Robert yeah. Whitaker in the first fight, and Kelvin Gaslam to a, a lesser degree. Even though mm. Gaslam went five rounds, he got beat bad by the time yeah. the fourth and fifth round yeah. started because Izzy was finding his timing. So you got to be very careful in your approach when you go against Edesanya. But no, you don't have to prove to people. I think so many athletes do that, and you can mm. never value fan appreciation over victories and legacy. I think Izzy understands that. Well, you know, sitting sitting in the arena and watching people in between rounds four and five, you know, start to leave because the writing was on the wall. You could see that Israel yeah. Adesanya had dominated that fight and that Jar Jared Cannonier wasn't going to apply the pressure or wasn't going to apply the type of opposition that would make Israel Adesanya get out of pocket or make or allow Israel to counterattack or to counter punch and have his striking cause damage on Jared. But I do believe too, what happens is people start to compare, right? If, if you're sitting, if you're sitting in that arena and you watch Sean Strickland, who you know is going to continue to come forward or move forward, even though he's fighting one of the top kickboxers who is now fighting in martial arts. And we got to see the explosion from Alex Pereira in that fight. So pushing forward, we heard what Izzy said. Izzy said, you know what? This is the fight that has to happen. It's the fight that people have been waiting on. We've watched Alex now move up to number six in the middleweight rankings. And I think that's, and, and honestly, 
this this shows me the intelligence of Sean Shelby and the, the Dana Whites in matchmaking because the five people that sit in front of Alex now are all people that Israel Adesanya has beaten before. So it's easy to say, okay, this is the next guy up. Now he gets his opportunity and he's ranked right where he needs to be. Let's spin it forward a little bit, DC, and look at this matchup. When you think about the things that Alex has done since becoming uh, a UFC fighter and where this stands now with facing Israel Adesanya next, which is what we assume will happen, how would you see this fight playing out and what type of excitement will this provide for the middleweight division? This is exciting. This is very because Alex Pereira is... Our Pajeda is one Pajeda, of I'm sorry, yeah. the best strikers in the entire world, RC, for a long time. And he did to Sean Strickland. Hey, make no about it, my brother. Izzy would have did the same thing to Sean Strickland. Because Sean Strickland would have kept attacking him. And he would have found himself in trouble because he kept attacking him. But the way that he set up that outside, that left hand, oh, my God, it was beautiful. The way he was like, Ryan. He was jabbing him to the body so stiff. It's like a lot yeah. of guys jab to the body. They kind of jab to the body. Head falls off to the side, trying not to get hit. But Harris is just like, bang, bang, body shot jab, mm -hmm. bang, body shot jab. And then when he's floating, he's floating to his left, which is what you're not supposed to do because you're circling into the power of Strickland. But he was so little threatened that he's going in the direction that Strickland's punch is. Do full changes. Springs into the left hook. Beautiful. Yeah. Punches himself you know, a ticket to the title fight. Like, the UFC matchmaking perfect with this guy. Because they never really let him fight a Marvin Vittori or anyone that can, like, stymie him and hold mm -hmm. him against the side of the octagon. And now you get him versus Izzy. But I want to tell people, RC, don't get too lost in the results of the first fights of Izzy was beating him in the second fight. Izzy was winning the second fight and got knocked out. So go back and watch that kickboxing fight before we rush to judgment and rush to expectation of what Alex Pajeda can do to Israel Adesanya. Well, I think everybody, though, is excited about this because all you see is visual. And you know how it is, DC. You can listen to a Daniel Cormier explain that Israel Adesanya was winning the fight against Alex. But when you see the visual of Israel Adesanya on the ground, not moving or on the mat, not moving, that's what you remember. And so I think yep. that's going to continue to build excitement for this fight. As dominant as a champion as Israel Adesanya has been, his teammate Alexander Volkanovsky has been even more dominant. We knew coming into this fight against Max Holloway that there was no one at 145 pounds for either of these dudes. We understood that. You know, we've seen them fight the Korean Zombie. We've seen them fight Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega. They have dominated all of those opponents. And that's what led to the excitement of this matchup, of, the, of this trilogy, even more so than the split decision or the tight fight that we saw in Max, you know, Alex or Volkanovski too. But it was pure dominance, DC. I had never seen Alexander Volkanovski with so much kind of fire under his tail. He's talking to Max during the fight. In between every round, he's holding his hand up like, yeah, we're going to dap off. But after we dap off, it's all on me. And, you know, I heard his coach say we were moving into Max's right, moving into his power, the dreaded thing that you aren't supposed to do. So it was amazing to see this champion to me. And I think he's still number two pound for pound 
this champion to me solidify himself as number one. And even Max tweeted that on social media that pound for pound, you're number one. You deserve an opportunity at the strap at 155. When you're sitting octagon side, DC, getting to see this masterclass and this masterpiece put together by Alexander Volkanovsky against a future Hall of Famer in Max Holloway, what are the thoughts going through your head as you're trying to analyze this fight? In awe. We're literally in awe. Like, there's no other word for it but being just mouth wide open, agape. I mean, agape. We got a lot of, lot of synonyms, synonyms here. Uh, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, all right. <laughs> mouth agape. <laughs> You're like this, watching like, how is this even possible? Like, right. really watching a guy elevate to the next level. And I spoke to him on Wednesday, um, and he talked about distance between him and Max Holloway in making sure that nobody questioned who the rightful winner was anymore. He did that, man. He did that and more on Saturday night because every single time Max tried to mount offense, he was right there to put him in his place, stop it in his tracks, and then head back down the path of him just dominating. And I don't know what he saw in the prep, but you could see from the very beginning that he was operating on a different level. Because yeah, like you he said, was. he was speaking to Max from minute one. He was like yep. talking to him like, whoo, that one's there. That was close. You better be careful. It's like he just was like in, he was like in the zone. Like it was like when Michael Jordan made all those three pointers and he was like, I, I don't I have no yeah, idea what you said. Know, right. He's like, this, this, this doesn't normally happen. He's like, this, this. that's what happened to Alexander Volkanovsky. And when a guy is doing that, you really have no chance. And he dominated yeah. Max Holloway in a way that nobody ever could have expected. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. I think you're right, DC. I'm not going to sit here and talk about my mouth being the gape and being in awe. But Alexander Volkanovsky, <laughs> beyond a shadow of a doubt, proved that he was head and shoulders above the featherweight division. But you heard him talk about getting a 155-pound strap, too, as well, and saying that he'll keep both divisions busy if he's able to do that. But there's no way to talk about Alexander Volkanovsky now that we're talking about him moving up and getting other opportunities without speaking on his legacy. To you, DC. And you know how much I love Jose Aldo. But to you, do you feel like that right now, Alexander Volkanovsky is the number one featherweight in the history of that division? I feel confident. in He's the best featherweight I've seen. Now, long time I said Max was. He's not Max three times. And most convincingly in the third fight. He's also beaten Jose Aldo. 
He also beat Chad Mendez when beating Chad Mendez was very, very difficult. And then the way that he beat Chad Mendez was very uh, impressive. Look, man, this kid is he's next level. And he he was fast. He was explosive. And as you and I have spoken about with him, he doesn't get tired. It, it, so yeah. your best weapon could be something, and it's null and void because you can't use it against Alexander Volkanovsky. He really has shown no weaknesses inside the octagon. I, I can't remember or recall a time where I've seen him in trouble. I mean, he got dropped Brian with Ortega. Max. Brian Ortega. Oh, yeah. Brian Ortega yeah, was but, about the closest we'd ever seen with the mounted guillotine. Yes, but even in that, right, RC? Even in that, we learned how difficult it's going to be to beat this dude. Because 99.9% right. of the world would have tapped, and he got out of it. So he got dropped by Max twice with the uppercut with the head kick. But outside of those three moments, the dude's 24-1 and one now. I mean, outside yeah. of those three moments, there's no weaknesses in this man. He's, he's the greatest featherweight of all time. I'm very you sure about that. Yeah, you know, you know what? When when I start thinking of of legacy, I, I can't remember. Maybe you can remind me, uh, DC, like in between WEC and UFC, how long Jose Aldo's run was from a, a year, uh, from 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 a, a year's standpoint. I want to say it got up close to a decade, though. That yep. Jose Aldo, that Jose was Aldo the was the man, and it it is sometimes unfair to speak about fighters legacy while they're still fighting because we don't get to see them decline you know it's like listening to like Tupac and, and Biggie rap and and then obviously them not being able to put out any more more music because they're no longer here and they go out on top but I do think that yep. Alexander Volkanovsky is definitely in that conversation I believe it has to be between him and Jose Aldo and if he continues to dominate as he already has, I believe he puts it in a in, in a conversation or a perspective where there is no conversation to be had to be had. But when you think about the next step for Alexander Volkanovsky, what is it to you, DC? It's gotta be 155, right? Like, there's just nobody else. Like, we just saw him beat 1A, Ryan. Yeah. You, you know, when you beat 1A and the way that he beat 1A, you gotta go up. You got to go up because it feels like now until it isn't right until it isn't. It feels like now he will be feasting on the featherweights like Amanda Nunes was feasting on the bantamweights every time she went down until Juliana Pena. So there's right. always someone lurking. We just don't know who that person is yet. But I think he goes up now. Then he comes back down. Look, Josh Emmett is going to be very mad at me. Josh Emmett talked to me about coming on the show. Maybe we should have had Josh Emmett on today to kind of state his case. He was very disappointed right. last weekend. But if Alex does stay down, and that's kind of likely right now, right? Because it feels like Makashev and Oliveira are going to fight. Yes. Yes. So it's likely that he stays down, he fights Josh Emmett. But the moment that's done, I'd like to see him fight at lightweight because I just don't know what these guys at 145 can do with this kid. I have a so, so my, my my thought would be this, DC. I would love to see him fight for the 155 pound belt as well. Do you believe that Makashev and what he's done is a more deserving fight for him to fight Charles Oliveira than it than it would be to let Alexander Volkanovsky and Charles Oliveira fight for what is the vacant belt at 155 pounds right now? 
I mean, look, he's as take deserving as out, anyone. DC, DC take no, your fandom listen, out. I love his No, listen, too. I'm being honest with you. He is as deserving as anyone to go up and just challenge immediately. With that being said, to win 12 fights in a row in a division has to mean something. And that is why I believe Makashev should get the championship fight. I'm not being a teammate here. We just need that, that balance of Charles Oliveira is the champion. But we need to see him fight again, get his belt back strapped around him, or get a new champion crown before we start talking about Volkanovski going up to 155. And with the way that things worked out and Josh Emmett having fought in Austin just a couple weeks ago, the timing works because it sounds like they want to do Makachev versus Oliveira sometimes in the winter. So whether it be in Brazil or Abu Dhabi, I think the Abu Dhabi card's in October, right? It'll work out to where it can be in line for those fights to kind of play along the same time frame in order to move uh, both divisions forward. Yeah, and I think, I, you know, listening to you, you actually convinced me because the other thing I believe Alexander Volkanovsky deserves, even though I agree with you, Islam Makashev deserves this fight, is to be fighting against another champion. For it to not be a, a vacant belt, for it not to be a number yep. one contender's fight, for it to be the champion at 155 against the legendary champion at 145, and now we see who's the best man at that weight class. And so I love kind of how you mentioned that. But another person that we were all tuned in to see at UFC 276 was Sean O'Malley. And obviously that fight didn't end in a way anybody in the arena or Pedro Munoz or Sean O'Malley wanted it to end. We had him on the pivot Sunday morning, hours after the fight, and we wanted to kind of hear what he thought about the no contest. Here's some of that footage right here. What I could take away from that fight is it was a top 10 guy. I broke him mentally. He was looking for a way out. The nut shot didn't, wasn't a nut shot. It was on the belt on the line. Belt. It was a nice body shot. If you get hit with a body shot, and it, you can pretend it's a nut shot. Take your time, get, you know, uh, the eye poke. I didn't really feel like I poked him in the eye. I don't know. It, it, I was patient. I was landing good shots. I was finding my range. Um, I was about to take over that fight, and he, he just found a perfect way out. DC, DC, when I heard that, when I was sitting across from Sean O'Malley that morning, I was like, oh, you're saying you broke him. You're saying that Pedro Munoz quit. He took the easy way out. And now you and I have gone back and forth about this with people saying that, you know, Pedro was winning on the cards. When you hear that soundbite from Sean O'Malley, what's your first and initial thought? It's Sean O'Malley, right? Like Sean O'Malley has a way of looking at things that um, sometimes are true, sometimes aren't. I don't know if it's a gimmick. I don't know if he's trying to convince himself of something. He was starting, He, but what I do agree with, he was starting to find his range, right? He really was. He lost round one on two of the three judges' scorecards, but mostly due to leg kicks. But he was starting to find his rhythm. Now, was he pulling away from Pedro at the time? Not yet. But you can see, and I talked to Dominic Cruz about this. Dominic Cruz said, Pedro Munoz is usually a very fast starter, and then he fades as the fight goes a little bit longer. Nobody would know better than Dom, because Dom just fought him in New York City uh, just in November. So maybe he thought the writing was on the wall that Sean O'Malley was going to win that fight. 
which to me, because I think Dom's very smart, it goes, okay, I get it. I get it. Maybe Pedro wasn't able to keep that game plan going the entire time. Do I believe he quit? No. I do believe that his eye was bothered. I saw him on Sunday morning and it was all closed. But unfortunately, those things happen in mixed martial arts. There it is. I took a picture of him because I was so, mm-hmm. I was so like taken aback by it. I was like, wow, it's worse than I thought. Right. So I don't think that he quit. I think he got poked. But a lot of guys, uh, I mean, he even showed his medical records of um, what was going on. So I don't think he quit. But I do agree with Sean that he seemed to be building the momentum in order to win the fight. Yeah, and, and listening to him kind of explain the fight a little further, which if you listen to the entire podcast on The Pivot, he was talking about some of those leg kicks. And I brought up that, you know, many people had said that that was the way to attack him. And he was saying, yeah, RC, but even in some of those leg kicks, and a lot of them, I was checking them. And even if the judges were using those to be scored, I felt like I was able to hurt him as well throughout that process. He said he was finding his range. He was starting to understand where Pedro was going to be. And he said he felt like Pedro understood that as well. I've never been in the octagon. I don't understand that. But I know what it's like when Tom Brady knows every time you're in fire zone and every time you're in fire zone, he finds the right range. And it may not happen for the first quarter or every time you're in fire zone, he finds the open guy or he's able to shift the line to block that guy. And in fighting him or in playing that that that, that, that team or playing the Patriots, you realized in the third and fourth quarter, if you didn't make some adjustments, you were in trouble. And it seemed to me that's kind of what Sean was saying when he was talking about the way He was beginning to fill Pedro out. I don't agree that fighters quit. The reason you guys are who you are, the reason you get to the level that Pedro Munoz has gotten to is having no quit. But I do kind of feel where Sean was saying he was figuring him out. Do you run this fight right back, DC? Or have you seen enough to know, let's give Sean O'Malley a different fighter as he tries to move into contention for the 135-pound belt? I'd probably run it back just because early in the fight, there was enough diver- uh, enough of a challenge to warrant them fighting again. You know, um, I'd like to see him run it back, but mm. Song Yudong would be a fun fight too. That Song Yudong has dynamite in his hands. And honestly, that one would be probably funner because he's going to be trying to knock out Sean as Sean right. is trying to knock him out. But if you run the Pedro Munoz fight back, I don't think anybody uh, would be disappointed. I think that was enough adversity early enough in the fight, especially with the judges scoring it for Pedro, that you can warrant an immediate rematch and um, lock those guys back in the octagon again. You know, Pedro Munoz is as tough as they come. He's a longtime veteran, a guy that's been at the top of the game for a long time, so obviously that would elevate a young fighter in Sean O'Malley getting a win over him. But another longtime veteran said bias last weekend. He called it quits. He called it a career. But not elevating a new young fighter. He lost to a guy that he had beaten prior. And I think in that, when you lose to someone that you had bested earlier in your career, that you had knocked out, and you get finished, you understand the writing on the wall, and the old cowboy laid his gloves down in the middle of the octagon. But only in true cowboy fashion, right? His hat, he put yeah. gloves in the hat, and he walked away. When you look back at Cowboy as a fan, what will be your lasting memories of what that man was to the UFC and mixed man. martial arts in general? 
Man, for, for, for me, DC, he was synonymous with everything we loved about the sport. He always gave everything he possibly could inside the octagon, but the spirit outside. There wasn't, Cowboy Cerrone wasn't one of those fighters that other fighters went into the fights hating. Right. They, they always respected him. They always understood what type of opponent was going to stand across from him on the other side. But the respect level to me was always at the highest. And even as he began, he began to get a little older, he was still so competitive every single fight, every single round. And I think as that started to change for him, especially down this losing streak toward the end of his career, that's when we, when we could see he was no longer Cowboy Cerrone. And for him to say after the fight, which I thought was kind of a beautiful sentiment for anybody who's ever retired, Joe, I just don't love it anymore. Mm. I think that's something that all of us that sit on the other side of our careers can understand. Absolutely. And you know, there was a, a team uh, back in the day. I think it was Fresno State. On the field, it said anybody, anytime, anywhere. That, to me, is Cowboy Serena. I love that. He just yeah. went and fought anyone, and he fought all the time, and he beat so many people, and he was just fun. But you're right. When you don't love it, you cannot lock yourself into an octagon with another man that has that desire to be great. You've got to want that greatness, and honestly— now that he's going to be a, a movie star, as he said, That's you what he can said. see that his eyes are like on something different. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, when you start to look to what's next, that is exactly what Cowboy Cerrone is doing. But there are many fighters still left in the octagon, and some had some really impressive performances last weekend. So it's time now to grade UFC 276. You may be wondering where my partner went. Well, we all know where Ryan Clark lives. And as my friend in Singapore told me, the guy that I met at the Gucci store, Ryan doesn't have internet. It's storming down in Louisiana. Ryan's internet cut out. So your boy's got to take it home by himself. But right now, Corporate Jake, we are going to grade some of the fighters from UFC 276. First guy for me is Jim Miller. Guys, Jim Miller went into a fight with Donald Cowboy Cerrone, having lost fight number one to the Cowboy. He did exactly what he needed to on Saturday night. He went out there. He was very patient. He was calm. He looked very small next to Cowboy. But I think what happened in this fight was it showed us what Jim Miller has left. He's not to the point of where Cowboy was per se, but he isn't necessarily still championship level Jim Miller, but he showed that if he gets the right matchup, he could do some truly special things. But not only did he win, he became the person in the UFC history to fight the most in the Octagon's history. Also, more wins than anyone in UFC history. So hats off to a good guy in Jim Miller. He is a fantastic guy. Congratulations to Jim and his entire team. Now, Jim is an older guy. Jim's been around for a long time. But there was a lot of young talent on UFC 276 too. And one guy that is not afraid to tell you how great he is today and how great he's going to be down the line is Ian Gary. Ian Gary fought what I believed was the perfect fight for the opponent, Gabe Green. So 
Oh, my goodness. Guys, and I don't want y'all to start over. I don't want y'all to clip it. I'm recapping the fight, supposed to grading these dudes. I'm giving Jim Miller a B. I'm giving Jim Miller a B for his performance the other day. The reason it's not higher is because I believe that the competition um, of where Cowboy is today wasn't up to snuff in order for me to grade him much higher. Ian Gary, like I was saying before, I had to interrupt myself to go back and do exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Ian Gary, fighting the tough guy in Gabe Green. He does everything the correct way. This kid is a tremendous striker. I don't know if Ian Gary is as good as he believes he is today, but if he continues to work in the way that he is at Sanford MMA, if he continues to improve in the way that he is improving, I think that Ian Gary has a ton of potential. He has a ton of skills, and he has a great ability to at some point at least challenge for a UFC championship. I, I My comp for him is probably Darren Till. You remember when Darren Till first started? He was brash. He was fun. He was confident and a little bit cocky. Ultimately got to a UFC title fight, lost to Tyron Woodley. But that's my comp for Ian Gary. Uh, but when judging Ian Gary, I think for where he is in his career and for what he did, pitched a shutout, fought beautifully, I'll probably give him a B plus. And I know I just said the competition wasn't as high, but two young guys fighting on a pay-per-view card, B plus for Ian Gary. Brian Barbarina, bam, bam. He said he was going to wear Robbie Lawler down with his pace and pressure. What we didn't think, though, was that he would truly get to accomplish that because Robbie doesn't get tired. Robbie doesn't get exhausted, and Robbie was fighting beautifully, but Barbarina just wore him down. Barbarina kept hitting him, hitting him, hitting him, and he was doing a great job of getting to the body. In the middle of his conversation, uh, I'm sorry, middle of his combinations, he was getting to the body, and by getting to the body, he was slowing Robbie Lawler down. Now, this guy has now beaten Matt Brown and Robbie Lawler back-to-back. So he's starting to put these legends on his list. But beating those legends, does that warrant a massive jump in competition? Does that tell us who Brian Barberini is today? Not exactly sure. I'm giving Barberini a B. My last guy, and I saved him for last because he had the greatest performance of them all, is the tarantula Jalen Turner. What he did to Brad Riddell is unheard of. He literally just mollywopped him. He went out there. He hit him with a left hand. He heard him, jumped on the Malin guillotine, and finished him. We were surprised that Rafael Fazeev finished Brad Riddell because we know how difficult that is to do. But Jalen Turner did it in less than a minute. It is now time for people to start putting some respect on this man's name. He's six foot tall. He fights 155 pounds. He has all the skills. And now he's got the confidence to match. He told me in the fighter meeting, I used to fight real short. Now I fight long. But in fighting short to begin my career, I have developed skills in order to fight really good in close. Jalen Turner, highest grade I've ever given. I'm giving that dude an A+. Because I don't know if Jalen Turner fights that fight 50 more times if he could ever do it better than he did on Saturday night. And now truly looks like a future contender. And I don't know the rankings yet. Ryan just said somebody, Ryan just told me that Pajeda was ranked sixth. <laughs> he knows the rank is better than me. I am certain that Jalen Turner will be ranked when this week, this week starts. So great job to everybody that fought last weekend. Those athletes that I just graded, 
Congratulations. I know maybe I didn't give you the highest grade, but Jalen Turner absolutely did that. Ryan Clark, my man, you know, living in Louisiana, the storms are intense, but makes for some really, really good naps. I love being home whenever a storm hits the thunder, the lightning, you can get some really good naps. Guys, I love each and every one of you for all the love and support that you gave me last week on the Hall of Fame. I am truly, truly honored to have been able to compete in front of you. Thank you so much. Guys, DC and RC every Tuesday, YouTube, ESPN Plus, wherever you get your podcast. Till next time. Peace. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate.